Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball Network, where you will find today's tennis discussions. This is your host, Coach Denise, exploring tennis blessings and its effects on life's journey. Tennis is a wonderful sport, which could be the vehicle that takes you through life's journey. And our mentors, well, they might just provide that roadmap for your journey. For the last six-plus years, I've been blessed to be talking with mentors who have paved the pathway for many tennis players and coaches. Who are these mentors you will hear on our Thursday's broadcast? Well, the almighty will in at least once a month. You will continue hearing either Dr. Alan Fox or Coach Chuck Greasy. As a matter of fact, next month, you might hear uh, both because uh, we will start off the month on October 1st with uh, Dr. Alan Fox, and we're looking to uh, maybe the last Thursday instead of the first Thursday of November, we'll have uh, Coach Chuck Reese. We haven't decided which one yet because after that broadcast, we're going to shut down the uh, 2020 season, and sometime in 2021, we'll get back to you and let you know what Bobby and I's plans are. Uh, so uh, next, our uh, next broadcast, Dr. Ellen Fox will be on because next week uh, Bobby and I have get some plans. So, and by the way, our other other mentors sharing their knowledge on Thursdays have been people like Coach. Ashley Hobson, uh, Bobby Payless, the uh, Navy, uh, Navy and Notre Dame coach, Scott Engie, um, the, the head of the National High School uh, Tennis Coaches Association, Dr. Bryce Young, Ed Crash, Johnny Angel, Nick Saviano, Coach Scott Williams, Energy Coach Linda LeClaire, and others. Besides the coaches sharing their knowledge, you may also hear other college or high school tennis coaches or even USTA, PTR, USPTA heads, as well as leaders from the tennis and racket sports organizations. Because I do believe Dr. King when he said, our life begins to end the day we become silent about things that matter, each week you will hear my biased views on North American tennis and life. I would like to thank the Yellow Ball CEO, J.P. Weber, for hosting the program and on our network. And, of course, the nice thing about Block Talk Radio is you can listen at any time you like to any of the programming on the Yellow Ball Network. When you see that uh, Yellow Ball Network up on a broadcast at Myself or Chuck Reese or one of the other people have just hit that uh, center of that and it'll take you to uh, the network. Besides our Thursday's conversation, the Almighty Wilden, you will be able to continue reading my articles in Florida Tennis Magazine. And as I have previously stated, if you disagree or want to comment, please email me at Coach. Denise, that's D-A-N-I-S-E dot F-H-S-T-C-A 
at att.net. Who knows, you may read your views in Florida tennis or hear them on a future broadcast of Coach Denise Exploring Tennis Blessings. Uh, By the way, if someone has taken the last issue of Florida Tennis from your pro shop or you're not a subscriber, you can always read the last issue of the magazine by going to www.floridatennis.com. I think we have an outstanding uh, broadcast this evening uh, because my own bias, I happen to know, uh, both of these gentlemen and uh, had my grandchildren uh, at the Inspiration uh, Academy. Not all of them. We have many. Uh, but uh, the ones that think they're going to be superstars. But uh, I will go to the, my comment. But before I do, I see a half a dozen people listening, and I appreciate that. I truly do. But like I said before, the nice thing about Block Talk Radio is you can listen anytime you want. And when I'm through with the broadcast, I will post this and, uh, you know, you'll be able to listen. But I do not take calls um, live because, uh, well, truthfully, because I'm slow getting into the 21st century and computers and about five years ago, I had an incident, and uh, uh, I, so I just don't take calls. So other than I have two guests tonight uh, on the broadcast, uh, Ashley Hobson and uh, Troy Mathis, uh, other than them, if uh, the rest of you would hang up, I would appreciate it uh, so I know who to go to here. And um, while I go through my commentary, if you would do that, uh, We'll start the program. Thank you very much. Uh, The September 17th uh, commentary is character building starts with the coach and the program. The basic fundamentals of coaching a particular sport may be similar for coaching an individual or coaching team sports. But there is a difference, time being the biggest in my opinion. The challenges of coaching teams rather than individuals are many, but there's also advantages of team coaching depending upon the age, physical capabilities, the development of technique and tactical adjustments. Uh, They're all often similar in the sport you're taking up. As a coach, if you have made a suggestion that you thought would help a player only to find the player resistance to the suggestion upon instituting the suggestion, find the player struggling with adapting to your suggestion, given the time to accomplish the suggested adjustment and it's not working out, seeing no improvement, is it not time for the coach to take the next step and find time to have a heart-to-heart conversation with the athlete? That conversation may not just help the individual appreciate what we do is good and worthwhile, but might fuel team energy as well. Keeping them on a noble path of seeking help and not fearing that it might look like criticism is important. As a coach, my responsibility is keeping positive communications with the player. 
I also feel it is my responsibility to assure the athlete they would not harbor possible resentment, So, uh, which, of course, would deflate the positive energy we're trying to produce. I would apologize to that athlete as soon as I learned there was a reason that he or she was not supporting my recommendations and it was not going to be productive in this instance. Hybrid reasons of why or what was the reason it didn't produce the expected results was not worth the possibility of the athlete hugging on to an old failure. During my early days of my coaching career, this was not always an easy conversation. Uh, back then, I was truthfully better at talking than listening, and on occasion, I would let my ego enter the conversation knowing that my suggestions recently worked with another athlete, why shouldn't it work now? As I became a better listener, I soon recognized that my learning curve was growing like the athlete's was. It's still growing. And when I felt the athlete disappointment of immediate success and that it could possibly become resentment for change and the hugging of an old failure, it became time for that conversation. I suspect those of us moving on to management positions and sporting organizations have witnessed similar situations. And I recommend remembering who we are and where we came from. Those same open two-way conversations are still possible. I believe those in your sporting organizations must feel that you care and really want to hear what they have to say and not just repeat the current narrative that is running around at that time. The best way to build that level of growth is with an open-door policy. Well, that is what I believe. How about you? It's your advantage. Well, thank you, and I do think, I hope, uh, they're both calling on one line because actually now I've lost everybody but one line. So, uh, Coach, are you there? I am. Who is this? Is this Troy or Ashley? This is Troy. Hi, Troy. Nice speaking to you. Hi, John. How you doing? I'm blessed. Thank, thank you. I was afraid I should. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for taking the time uh, to share your expertise with the uh, people. I know how busy you are, and uh, I really do appreciate you taking the time because I really think that some of the same lessons uh, in one sport uh, are very similar to those in another sport. Uh, would uh, I didn't have time to properly introduce you. Let me, you could uh, add to this if you uh, would, please. But uh, my understanding, and a little we talked a month or so ago, you have 20-plus uh, years of professional baseball experience and uh, that you've uh, – you 
you made your attempt in the major leagues, and uh, you hung around for a little bit, but uh, now you're sharing the experience like so many coaches. Would you like to just tell the audience a little something about yourself, please? I, uh, I'm a Florida boy, born and raised, um, so I'm kind of enjoying this uh, pretty nasty torrential downpour I'm driving in right now, but uh, welcome to Florida. Um so I grew up in Florida, grew up in sports, uh, football, baseball, soccer. When I had the opportunity, I was still trying to play some basketball and tennis and golf and trying to be as well-rounded of an athlete as I could. Um, my father uh, and mother definitely encouraged that as well. And uh, I'm six foot eight, so eventually grew out of soccer and a few other sports. And luckily, uh, luckily baseball ended up working out for me. I was drafted back in 1993. Signed with the uh, Montreal Expos in 1994 and uh, spent the next 13 years from, uh, after that playing professionally. Um, my playing career ended after five injuries, uh, three shoulder and two elbow injuries. I uh, moved into coaching, uh, something where that was always a passion of mine is wanting to – let's just say I've always had fantastic mentors and coaches in my life. And the the passion, the um, the the heart, the um, their will to to want to impact my life has made me want to do the same thing, turn around and and pay it forward to the next generation. Well, we appreciate that. Uh, did we, did you ever get to go to uh, the Montreal Export? Uh, park uh, up there. Uh, I, we used to make frequent trips when uh, I was brought up in Connecticut, and that wasn't that long. That was a nice small park. I love that place. It was. Uh, it, it's a beautiful place to play. Uh, the fan base is not not fantastic. Um, no. Yeah, but those that were there were were pretty heartfelt. But you know, it was a it was a beautiful place to play. I think five of my eight major league starts in 2001 were in Montreal, and then unfortunately I spent all 2002 on the big, big league disabled list with Montreal. Um, but uh, had a really cool opportunity a couple couple summers ago. We took a road trip as a family, and I was able to take my wife and two young daughters to Montreal and got to walk around the stadium a little bit and kind of kind of relive the glory days. So it was uh, a pretty cool experience. Yeah, I imagine that would be, because it was a special park. Although there were times I thought there was more of us New York fans there than there were Montreal fans. But, I mean, it was a beautiful – I always thought it would be a beautiful place to, uh, you know, play in. But uh, it was great. Uh, let's get uh, to question. Go ahead. I'm sorry. We had uh... – it felt the same way. We had interleague there in 2001 where the Boston Red Sox came up and obviously a little easier to get tickets in Montreal than it is in, uh, in Fenway. So we had a, I think a Saturday, Sunday, Monday series, Saturday night, there were 48,000 people. They opened up the top, which had not been done in decades. And, uh, a, a player for Boston named Chris Steins hit three home runs standing ovation, and as a team, we're, we're on the bench looking around like, wow, I, I, I kind of thought I thought we were the home team. This is, this is kind of surreal. So, um, yeah, I can understand anytime, you know, New York or Boston or 
or some of the uh, places with fantastic bands throughout the Northeast had the opportunity that, you know, Montreal is a beautiful city, uh, great food, great culture, and, uh, you know, it's a situation where it's probably a little easier to get tickets up there, and so I don't, I don't blame them for taking advantage. No, it is a special place, and uh, uh, my own uh, bias, like I said, explain every Thursday, you're getting my biased views, uh, who I am, but I always loved uh, Montreal. But I think that was something, that's the difference in sports in those days than now. I mean, it was about the game, and if you were a Boston fan coming from there and the uh, your team was, uh, you know, hitting the home runs. Uh, you know, that's it was the game that mattered. It wasn't the sponsors. It wasn't the, you know, the whole. I, I am a little right now fighting with myself about sports, uh, and uh, I'm afraid we're taking. I hope all sports doesn't take the NBA uh, attitude on sports, but who knows? Time will tell, but. I think probably part of the culture of today and uh, players and parents uh, do, do make it a little uh, difficult because the value of the game uh, has changed. Uh, can you give me your input on what you think about that, about the practice and the game and playing? Well, I, I, I tell you what, it's it's been neat. Um, you know, for me as a as a player, I spent 13 years professionally, um, and as I was playing professionally, I was still going back to my high school and helping out during the off season, helping out the, my, my former school. So I was able to be around amateur ball and, and watch, you know, watch 13 generations of, of you know, our 13, 13 years worth of athletes, um, you know, growing, going from that to spending a little bit of time uh, working in in a facility, and then uh, I spent the next six years coaching the Baltimore Orioles organization, and it, it was kind of it was kind of neat to watch the generational change, the generational gap, where it went from you know really being team oriented to being more individual, um, and even going into today's game, um, you know, I think I think there's better teachers out there right now. I think the Technology is uh, both the video technology and the the um, the, the feedback that, that science can give us today is fantastic. Um, I, I think the challenge is is when it comes to the training, you know, you definitely have to have an individualistic um, you know regiment and look and and how I treat players and and, and each individual. Uh, but I think sometimes they really struggle with the team concept and. The scary thing is, is today's players, at least in baseball, have become so game centric, where where they enjoy training a little bit because they enjoy the um, looking for you know personal records and 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 you know looking for the best of the best in their training. But when it comes to game time, the understanding of of being a good teammate, the understanding of what what can I do to help my team win. It's starting to get lost a little bit, so it's it's uh, it's something that you know us as a, a program is really trying to change the culture a little bit, really trying to you know create a um, use the road earlier roadmap, create a roadmap for each individual in their development 
but how does this how do I how does this help you become the best version of yourself? And then how do I eventually carry this best best version of myself into a game? You know, and that's that's a challenge with today's generation is, um, you know, there's a lot of challenges with today's generation, and, and I'm assuming we'll talk a little more about that, uh, you know, as we move forward. But you know, it, it's really difficult where, um, you know, parents and and kids, you know. In their heart, they feel like everything's about the game, the game, the game. And, yes, you need to be able to compete in the game. The same thing is, you know, you're training in tennis, and I need to be able to go out there and win matches. But, you know, can we can we change their heart or, or kind of um, redirect them to understanding that it's about development? It's about can I be the best version of myself when it matters? You know, in, in tennis, you know, for the girls, it starts a little bit earlier because, you know, women tend to reach their peak just a little bit earlier for the guys is they're, you know, they're reaching their peak. You know, if you look at tennis players, typically going into their twenties, you know, where you see some fantastic young, young female players, you know, really starting to, you know, reach their physical peak in their teens and, and watching that carry over for quite a while. Um, you know, for baseball players, it's crazy to listen to players and, and, and coaches feel like, or, play, or players and parents feel like, man, I've got to be at my peak when I'm, you know, an eighth grader, a ninth grader, tenth grader to be noticed. Crazy thing is, is college coaches, you know, really don't start looking at most athletes unless they're early bloomers until they're sophomores, maybe juniors in high school. Professional scouts aren't even looking for, for you know, players here in America until they're a senior in high school or until they're in college. <laughs> Or, or, or maybe for some of the elite guys, they start, you know, following them a little bit as a junior in high school. But, unfortunately, somehow the culture is looking at things like, wow, we, we, you know, I've got to throw as hard as I can, as young as I can to be noticed. Where, you know, uh, unfortunately with, with professional scouts, you're not even on the radar until you're pretty close to your senior year. Right. And, and we forget that, uh, you know, your body uh, can only uh, do so much and it has to develop. And uh, some people look like they're adults that, you know, really are adults or not adults in the, with their mindset, but they're also, their body is not fully uh, uh, built to sit there and t- t- take a, too much uh Punishment. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I think that's a very important point. We, uh, part of my problem and complaint is that we we push uh, high school kids to make a decision their junior year, and I know the college coaches have to get their teams together and everything, but I always thought that was uh, unfair forcing them to try to make a decision there. And then uh, in different states in high school, like in Florida, uh, they discourage playing multiple sports. And in some states, it's worse than that. You can't play multiple sports. And I don't think we're doing the athlete any favors uh, when that happens. No, unfortunately, they're not not really the well-rounded athletes that they that they were you know once were. Um, you know, it was always enjoyable as a professional coach when we had multiple sport athletes coming in because they tended to have so much more body awareness, um, you know, the, the balance, the, the athleticism, the, the, um, 
appropriate, just the natural proprioception that comes with playing multiple sports a lot growing up. Uh, it started, you know, probably 15, 20 years ago with the specialization of sports where, you know, you started to hear it come from parents where, you know, my kid is going to be the next Tiger Woods. My kid's going to be the next Barry Bonds. My next kid's going to be the next Michael Jordan. And you need to focus on that one sport to be the best you can instead of saying, you know what, you're, you're a young kid. Go out, play multiple sports, start to learn what it's like to really create some proprioception, some you know, if I'm playing basketball, to, to work on the cardio, to work on the explosiveness, to work on the balance, to work on the footwork. If I go to tennis, now it's working on a lot of the same things, but now you're you're starting to hand it, hand out even more or, or you know, focus on a little more hand-eye coordination. And, and you know, uh, for me, I always love as baseball, as a baseball coach, having people that have, have played tennis in the past because they understand kind of how to manipulate a racket and in turn can, you know, as a pitcher, can manipulate the baseball a little bit easier, knowing how to, to pronate, supinate, and, and not just kind of stay through the ball, but, you know, where they can go out there with multiple pitches and really have some, some pretty extraordinary feels. Right. I think that's important. You can only do so much in the classroom. You start talking about the kinetic chain of energy and how it works and uh... – you know, when you where you break it, where you put more stress on the body, uh, you know, it's a lot easier when uh, you have somebody uh, doing both. I can't think of their coach. And we have a Florida coach, and he said, well, to me, uh, serving was easy because I was a pitcher before I was a tennis player. And uh, I don't think a lot of people realize that. You know, I, I've seen that carryover. My uh, my wife and her sister are, are big time um, sand volleyball players. So at the age, ripe old age of forty, they uh, decided to try to get me into sand volleyball and take advantage of my arm speed and and uh, and my height. And it's it's kind of fun when I'm out there and and things are going well because you know everything that I can do with the baseball, I can also do with the volleyball as I'm making contact and. You know, making the ball move all over the place, it's its a lot of fun, and it, it's a little frustrating for those those gentlemen that I'm usually playing against. But, uh, you know, as I said, being a being a multiple-sport athlete is something that I, I really appreciate the, the fact that my parents encouraged when I was a kid, and it's something that I love it. You know, even at our academy, we're, we're playing we, – we're training our baseball players nine months out of the year, eight and a half months out of the year, but – you know, when they have opportunities to, to be, you know, to play some football, to play some soccer, to, to play tennis, to play basketball, to, to go out there and be a well-rounded athlete, man, I thoroughly encourage that just because it, it, it really seems to help just watching the maturity happen a little bit faster, watching those, those young athletes, you know, say a 13-year-old whose feet are growing much faster than the rest of their body, you know, to, to be able to start to find that coordination, to find that balance, to find that footwork, to find some of those things so much quicker and, and make that adjustment a lot faster as they're going through those growth spurts because they are playing multiple sports. They do tend to to get that feel or maintain that feel so much easier. Yeah, I agree. Uh, talk to me just a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the mental side and, and battling the culture. I don't know if you see it as much as, or maybe I'm just getting old and uh, it's not as bad as I think it is, but uh, I think it, coming from a culture like you, 
uh, with Inspiration Academy, which my own biased views, I think it's just such a fantastic uh, place. But, you know, I, I think you, when you're having people, especially in team sports, that are thinking alike, um, and, I, and I hate to use that word, I don't want, let me draw that back because I don't think we should think alike, but they come from a culture where you have to honor where you are and honor, you know, and plan for where you're going, but you have to be acceptable to everything. I think it's easier to, to get into, especially with young people, a, a culture of working, or am I wrong? No, it's it's nice to get them young and start to create that that uh, the routine to help build the foundation at a right at a young age, and that goes on all aspects, not just the physical aspects, but also goes to the mental to to help them understand failure and and deal with it. And you look at baseball, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a hitter in baseball and I'm and I fail seven out of ten times. I still have a chance of being an all-star. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, if I if I spend my inge- entire career in, in Major League Baseball and I fail seven out of ten times consistently, I'm, I'm got a chance of being a Hall of Famer. So right. you know, dealing with the mental game, it's it's been fun being around Ashley also. So not just not just uh, you know dealing from the baseball side, but also the tennis because you know it, 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 you know it helped me understand that. You know, tennis and, and like mixed martial arts and boxing and sprinting and, and golf, all the individual sports, you have to have supreme confidence in yourself to be able to go out there and really compete at your, at your best because you're, you're relying on yourself. You know, occasionally in tennis you play doubles, but most of your focus is on how am I playing in that singles match? How, how, am, I, how am I able to handle when I'm having a bad day? Or how am I able to handle when I think maybe that, that person on the other side of the net is a little more talented than I am? You know, in baseball, we, we, we have a lot of challenges. And number one, it's a game of failure. Number two, we got to go out there and, and have that same kind of confidence and, and ability to, to make, you know, for me, it's, you know, we, we've got pitchers, we've got throwers. And the difference between a thrower and a pitcher is a, a pitcher can make adjustments. A, a pitcher can go out there and adapt when he doesn't have his best stuff or when the umpire isn't, isn't calling balls and strikes quite as, as, as often or, on the, the uh, you know, calling on the corners or calling on the knees or, or something specific like that. And how do I mentally stay in check? How do I mentally still go out there and, and stay focused and not lose myself emotionally and lose, lose the ability to have the, have the teammates, you know, ha- have my teammates still battle behind me because they realize I don't have my best stuff but I'm still out there continuing to stay mentally focused and mentally strong. And, and at that point, they're going to turn around and battle even harder to make plays and, and do positive things behind me. Yeah, that's true. Uh, let me ask you a question before I have a question. Hopefully we have a little more time. I know you have a baseball game. Now. Is Ashley with you or is she going to be calling? I actually have – John, I actually have uh, – that game was rained out. Uh, I started my drive oh, heading back yeah. home in the rain. So you've you've got me as long as you need me tonight. Okay, well, let's see, because I haven't seen Ashley call in yet. Let me ask you a question, then, and uh, uh, go ahead. you have something first? No, I'm, I'm, I'm all ears, bud. Okay, well, what I'm, I have, uh, well, I guess as I get older, I have more questions than I have answers. But 
I think it looks like major leagues are going to be going to, uh, you know, the, com- the computer strike zone and everything. And like anything else in life, there's, you know, positives and negatives uh, in it. Uh, I, I'm thinking that it's probably going to help the, uh, the, the fact that, uh, the, the person that can throw strikes more than the, and I'm probably, I'm using the wrong phase, but I think of a pitcher that uses the whole play, uh, and I've never played the game like you did, so I'm probably using the wrong term. But uh, do you think there's going to be an advantage one way or the other? I mean, if I could use the whole play, but the umpire is not calling the whole play, I have to make an adjustment to what the umpire is calling. And that be, you know, and I, I think there's two sides to that. I think a hitter knows that this umpire doesn't call the high strike. So if you're throwing something at 101 miles an hour at me and it's high, I'm going to have a hard time hitting it if it's in my power zone. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, there I had the Baltimore, or I can't think of his name now, uh, I coach uh, uh, as a speaker one time uh, for us, and he talked about how they trained the uh, the hitters to sit there and know where their power from, where their weakness is, not to hit this pitcher or that pitch. What do you think? Is that going to be a strength for pitchers, or is that going to be a hindrance when we come to that uh, computerized strike zone? Well, I think with pitchers, I think uh, – well, I think it's going to be interesting. Catchers today are becoming a, a little more savvy at – being able to manipulate the strike zone a little bit. Um, you know, I, I couldn't imagine being an umpire today. You know, it's, it's a very difficult thing because there's so many guys that are throwing incredibly hard and have really good stuff. And, man, it, it is uh, it's pretty impressive to watch a lot of these, these pitchers today. Now, the, um, I think it will make things a little bit easier for – um, for umpires, once if they do have the electronic strike zone, the only thing that uh, that I worry about that is just losing the human touch. Um, I think there's got to be, I think there's got to be a way to balance it out. I think tennis has done a phenomenal job of that in the, in the the little bit of tennis that I that I watch. Um, my wife is a a former Liberty uh, University uh, tennis player. She was on their inaugural team. Um, decade and a half ago and um you know so she's got me into watching a little more tennis than i i previously had and i do love the fact that they can go to replay and it's an efficient replay um and and they're able to to figure out is it on the line is it in is it out and they do it pretty quick they've got a certain amount of challenges and and i kind of like that um where they still have the human touch, but at the same time, they're still able to use the technology. You know, John, I've, I've, I've had the pleasure a few times um, early on in, in my marriage to go out and play some tennis with my wife. And I'm a pretty good athlete. And, and even as a pitcher, you know, it did a good, decent job being a nationally pitcher of making contact with the ball. And I tell you what, I am, uh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty impressed with watching tennis itself. I'm pretty impressed with watching 
Um, you know, just the, the, the split second reaction time, because I'll tell you what, even returning my wife's serve 10 years after she had played in college, um, for me as a former professional athlete, trying to react and make contact, make solid contact and put it back in the court, I really struggled. So it, tennis is a sport that I really envy because, you know, I, I, I can serve the ball pretty well. I can, I can volley, you know, halfway decent, but my serve receive is absolutely deplorable. And uh, so I, I kind of envy those who, who play tennis at a high, um, you know, at, at a, uh, at a high level, because it's something I could never see myself doing. And so I, I envy the fact that tennis has figured out a way in, in my opinion of doing a pretty good job of, you know, combining the technology along with using the human touch in, in the umpiring. Um, it, it, I'm kind of curious to see how it's going to work out in baseball. Yeah, I think it's going to be uh, interesting. And like I said, I think like everything else in life, there's going to be pluses and minuses there. And, of course, my own bias is I think that's what makes all sports so great. And that's why I'm disappointed that we're – I mean, not that you don't need marketing. We do need marketing. We have to market a sport. But when we're – more concerned about, you know, how can we bring more uh, fans in there? We're looking to make changes that sometimes aren't needed. But we, uh, I think respect for the game is, is a great thing. Bringing it into the training, I mean, we have more tools than we ever had now for coaching, and all of them are useful and, you know, more useful to depend on and on, who you are. I mean, I remember when uh, I used one of the first uh, ball machines in coaching and the coaches around the area, uh, because I couldn't uh, put a serve, say, with the serve, I couldn't put it where uh, my son could put it and the people that played college and pro then. I was an old basketball coach. Uh, but with the machine, that uh, you know, I could put different spins on the ball. I could put different speeds on the ball, different directions on it. And I found it was more fun to, for the kids that they could hit more balls and they're learning because I could change that. So uh, back in those days, people would say, yeah, but he's doing that because he never played the game. He's an old uh, basketball coach. And that wasn't a lie. I mean, that was – a fact of life. I was old then, but today, if you have a tennis facility, you better have a ball machine out there too. So things change, and some of these tools that we have, uh, you know, if you're given a chance, I think they do work. I'm not so sure how much they help the mental part of the game, and I think that's the big challenge personally. How about you? I think it can, I think technology has its place. I think it can give you good feedback. I think uh, I think feedback is huge, not just here in the element when it comes to the coaches and, and um, you know and their ability to to teach and use the naked eye to to really um, you know to to help young athletes understand you know the game itself. But I think the technology, the video um, capabilities we have today, um, whether it's using something like Dartfish that that uh, you know that is you know a little higher in in, uh, in technology, or even something as simple as just pulling out your phone and taking the video and giving some feedback, 
you know, I, I think there's some fantastic stuff that, you know, from, from high tech to a little lower tech that can help them in base or in, uh, with the video. I think there are some tools out there, um, that can in baseball that can, you know, that can, uh, working with either hitters or pitchers start to, um, you know, show some value in, you know, whether, you know, for a pitcher, what kind of spin they're creating, what kind of true spin, if, if it's an efficient spin or if they're, if they're not staying behind the ball as well as they should, um, you know, where they can get a lot of feedback with that. I think to, to, to do that, to help them understand self-awareness or to, to, uh, to understand effectiveness can be huge. Um, I think sometimes with today's youth, though, we find that they start to rely so much on the technology that they lose some of the ability to go out and, and focus on competing. You know, how do I, how do I go out there and, and, and for a pitcher, just pound the strike zone? How can I go out there and, 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 um, you know, throw multiple pitches for strikes and, and be effective. Sometimes they become so focused on the technology and, and the training aspect that they lose the focus on ability to go out there and compete. Um, you know, that's one thing that I enjoy going out and watching tennis occasionally and watching what Ashley does with his, with his athletes, there's there's some that he do, he uses technology, he uses a lot of training, different training methods, but at the same time, he's allowing them to go out there and compete. And you know, sometimes they're they're competing against you know athletes that are a little better than them, a little more powerful than them, a little little more advanced than them, and they do a fantastic job of of learning how to step up to the competition. You know, it's it it how do I how do I have mental breakthroughs? How do I stay mentally strong when I know that that person across the the net from me? is stronger than I am or faster than I am or, or, you know, serves harder than I am. There's a lot of technology out there in, in tennis and, and, you know, for, for, for baseball with pitchers, you know, at a young age, it's, you know, it's all talking about, you know, how hard am I throwing? I was talking to Ashley a couple of days ago and they deal with a lot of the same thing. Well, how hard is your serve? How hard is your serve? Well, I mean, it's great. You hit the ball really hard, but can you, can you serve it in, you know, serve it where it belongs? You know, am I am I constantly double faulting? Am I am I never getting my first serve in where I've got to rely on my kick serve and and now I'm maybe potentially a little less effective? It's you know um, sometimes too much technology can be a curse just because you know the the athletes want to focus so much on their personal records as far as how hard am I hitting, how hard am I serving, how hard am I throwing? You know, what's my for baseball in, in hitting? What's my exit velocity? You know, they become so focused on that that they kind of forget the fact that uh, I've still got to be able to put the bat on the ball in the game. I still have to be able to throw the stri- throw, throw strikes in the game. Yeah, I think we've uh, forgotten, and and it's easy to blame the the kids today, but I think it's our fault. And I, I got a lot of people mad at me because I've asked the question. Uh, Often in uh, tennis, is your uh, high school tennis program is it a sport or is it an after-school activity? And uh, I, sadly, um, I think we've you know given competition a bad name. And uh, and to me, when you look at the school, I think one of the reasons I enjoy coming over visiting you guys so much, and I appreciate you putting up with me. But uh, it's that competition fact. It's about just the walking into that facility is such a special feeling. 
And I remember schools as repetition was how you learn. Uh, you know, how did you, did, you, did you learn your multiplication code? How did you, you, you know, learn the spelling? It was repetition. So once you get to a certain level, then you could start doing other things. But when we start giving trophies out to everybody, we're devaluing the value of competition. We're devaluing the value, in my opinion, of education. We're saying this person is incapable of doing this or doing that, so we'll make it easier. And I can understand in some places where a teacher uh, would rather uh, teach to a test than teach the subject matter, but there is a beauty of knowing what's in that subject you're teaching, and if the, the kids never find out what it is. Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, be, becomes a, uh, a sin, really. I mean, uh, I looked at things, and when I felt that is, uh, to me, it was I better, uh, you know, up my game uh, and uh, get out there and do that because if not, you know, I'm going home. Uh, today yeah. we just give a fifth place trophy and a sixth place trophy and. And in tennis, we sit there, well, we don't want to play, uh, you know, the grand slams, which were so special. They were harder than the rest of them because you had to play five sets. And that's just an unusual, difficult thing to do. Well, let's, you know, reduce the uh, the number of games we play. And and there's a lot of good argument. Uh, you know, if you're in one of those games, you're going to be worn out on your next match and the other player isn't but you know that's in we, we say in tennis that's the look of the uh draw you know by you, you you work hard to sit there and get your rank in uh not that you want to that you're better than somebody else but you're going to get a higher seed and you're uh you, you're not going to have to face that uh guy or girl that's looking for an upset that's been out there uh, working uh, with somebody, and uh, they're ready to challenge you. Uh, and you know, I I would just thought competition was such a special thing. Uh, uh, I I went to a, a football fans. I was a giant fan uh, because of the game, not because of the sponsors, not because of anything else. Uh, because there was a. A uh, player there that was five foot nine, a defensive end, and uh, he, today's in the uh, Hall of Fame. And you know, rather than listen to and the sensible arguments, truthfully, but <laughs> for me to accept that I couldn't do that at five foot nine. I played semi-pro ball in teams nobody ever heard of, and you only got paid if you, uh, you know, if you played in the game. If you didn't make the starting team, you didn't get uh, paid back in those days. But you know, that's what you wanted to do: get better. And I think we, we, we just don't uh, think about enough. And I, and again, I don't blame the players. I think it's this whole atmosphere that's coming out and they don't realize that you know I've got more work to do and I've got to work in the right direction and and that they need help and I know uh, when I was you know 
16, 17, I thought I knew uh, everything, but, uh, you know, you, you need help. And I've taken up too they, much of your time, but I went right in there. No, it's okay. I mean, I think the biggest challenge today is helping to create self-awareness. Um, you know, I think that's something that, uh, that our next generation is kind of struggling with. Um, you know, you talk about handing out trophies to those that don't, that, that haven't earned it and, you know, or the participation trophies and stuff like that. But, you know, I think, uh, I think it's just taking our athletes and trying to find different ways to challenge and putting them in, in more game situations as far as even, you know, for me in bullpens, you know, it's not just go out there and throw strikes and throw good stuff. It's let me go out there and finally find ways to, um, you know, create a game within a game. Let me find a way to go out there and, you know, uh, whether I'm, I'm trying to have them hit a specific target or, you know, trying to, you know, there's times as to where, you know, I'm, I'm maybe getting in an athlete's ear a little bit. I'm, I'm trying to get their heart rate up a little bit, maybe have them do some jumping jacks, you know, in between pitches, uh, do some sprints in between to, to emulate what kind of pressure, what kind of stress, what kind of, you know, as, as the adrenaline kicks in, as their heartbeat starts kicking up, you know, how they're going to react or how they're going to feel come game time when the pressure's on, when the stress is on and, and, you know, the spotlight's on them. So, you know, I, I think the challenge is for us as coaches is how to create a game within a game, even, even in a practice situation, how can I create some competition? And, and in that competition, you also, you know, things start to get weeded out a little bit as far as, wow, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was or, Wow, I've uh, you know I, I think that other person's a little less talented than I am, but man, they're consistently beating me in this specific drill or this specific uh, you know task, and you know in in you know kind of using that to help create some drive or help help to create some self awareness, and you know I think uh, that's something that's huge for coaches today to understand today's generation is how do we create those games within a game? How do I how do I have them prepared mentally and physically to go out there when the competition's on, you know, to, to, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, this, this is so much about development and what, what makes places like inspiration different when it comes to tennis, when it comes to baseball is, is the fact that we're really challenging these guys mentally and physically, you know, maybe more so mentally than anything like that is just to really go out there and how do I help find the best version of myself? What do I have to do to have that self-awareness to understand, man, I'm not as good as I thought I was. And maybe, maybe some, some of the success I've had recently is against some subpar competition. So what do I have to do to learn to get challenged and step up to the challenge and, and be prepared when I'm trying to get to the next level? Because ultimately for, you know, for all these athletes, it's getting to the next level, whether the next level is, you know, going from middle school to high school or high school to college or, or from high school to professional college to professional. I mean, you know, when you're looking at tennis players, I, I would hope that, you know, those tennis players are all looking to, to you know, play and, and compete and hopefully win in a grand slam. That's ultimate goal at a, at a young age. Um, and if it's not, then maybe they need to have a hard look in the mirror and, and see if they're really, you know, am I really seeing what I'm looking at? And, you know, for a baseball player, it's, you know, ultimately I, I want to play in the big leagues. I want to be be that guy who is able to, to be, you know, to play and compete and, and be watched at the, at the highest level playing on TV. And, you know, uh, you know, for me, it was, you know, having the right mentors, having the right people pour into the mental and physical side of me growing up that helped me end up reaching and achieving that goal. Because, 
you know, let's face it. I was, I was a late bloomer. I was tall. I was awkward. I was gangly, you know, but I had a lot of coaches that really poured into the mental and physical side of me to help me find the best version of myself. And, you know, not give up on myself because no one ever gave up on me. So, you know, it's it's a challenge for coaches, but at the same time, coaches can make all the difference in the world. You know, parents are with these these uh, these athletes. You know, uh, every night, every day, they they get to see them. You know, coaches have whatever time they they potentially have. I'm I'm blessed to be in the academy where I've got these guys five days five days a week, and really get to do the best I can to have an impact on the mental, physical, and spiritual side of, of who they are and do the best I can to, to really mentor and, and walk out life with them. You know, it's, it's, it's due to having great coaches who are also great teachers and teachers and great mentors that can really pour into to lives and, and, and really have an impact on that generation, you know, be able to help, help us find the best version of ourselves and challenge us and, in so many ways to be better on a daily basis. I agree a hundred percent. I think sports, uh, I, I think, you know, it's been a bummer for me the last few weeks because I think we've overreacted and things, but I, I think, uh, back, uh, years ago, the, uh, Nelson Mandela, when he said sports had the power to change the world, it has the power to inspire uh, what's the best in us. And I'm paraphrasing, so don't, you know, somebody say, didn't say that or didn't say that. But it just we wanted to remind us that, you know, we we can't despair about where we are, that accept the, accept the challenges that go on and give those people that achieve those things that are great, you know, give them credit. Um and you know, I don't. I'm not sure he was talking about today's professional game, and and that bothers me because I think sports can be that, and I think that uh, sports is you know can be the in our country anyway in America. You know, we were uh, started under a Judeo-Christian society with rules and and order, and uh, uh, it, it, I think that's important. And I'm I'm just fearful that we're losing that when we follow the uh, the dollar or sports becomes a gambling, uh, you know, place to invest for your gambling. Uh, we're following uh, big business and. Uh, you know, companies uh, like Nike, uh, you know, the NBA controlling uh, basketball, professional basketball, or is Nike doing it? And, you know, if we're against uh, slaveholders in this country, should we not be against slaveholders in any uh, country in the world? So before I get on the random here, uh, there's something else I want to thank you. Uh, hopefully, uh, Bobby and I reminded me that she was busy and she didn't get over there with me, uh, this time. So hopefully, uh, you'll not just have to put up with me, but, uh, put up with her too when we come over, uh, the next time, because I do appreciate what you do. And quite frankly, we all need inspiration at times. We all stand on somebody else's shoulder 
And uh, if you would, I'm going to give you two minutes before I close, and then I want to talk about Alan Fox, who will be our next uh, mentor on the broadcast. So say what you want to say, please. Well, listen, I just want to encourage those that are listening. Um, as you can hear in my heart that, uh, you know, to, coaches can, can change lives. Coaches can inspire lives and, and truly have an impact. Um, you know, I'm blessed to be in a, in a, in a place of inspiration where I can, I can go out there and, and not hold back on my faith, not hold back on my thoughts and my feelings to be able to try to take the next generation and make them a better version of themselves, try to do the best I can to help them walk through the, the pluses and minuses, the, you know, uh, every coach wants, wants to have a positive influence every, in some way, shape or form. Some are better than others, but uh, ultimately every coach that's out there wants the next generation to, you know, be able to be a, a, a person that can find the best version of themselves, a person that can go out there and, and, um, you know, avoid the speed bumps and the pitfalls and the, and the mistakes that we've made but to be able to go out there and enjoy the game as much as we have, to have the, to, to enjoy the positives and maybe avoid some of the negatives that we've gone through, whether it's, you know, people that have negative impacted us as coaches, you know, or, you know, as we were players or just the negative experiences, how can we help these, help the next generation have a better, um, a better opportunity to go out and, and truly enjoy this game. Um, you know, that's, that's the heart of where, you know, myself and, and, and Ashley, who's been on this, this show many times, is how can we challenge these guys to, you know, to step up and be a, a better version of themselves? Um, and at the same time, how can we pour into their heart? How can we, we um, you know, impact them from the inside out to really try to touch their, their heart? At some point, uh, you know, the, these baseball players will no longer have a uniform on their back. At some point, the the tennis players will be enjoying more of a life sport than a, than a competitive situation. But, you know, how can we, we let them have the positive experiences of, of this, of these games to have a positive influence on the rest of their lives? Well, I couldn't have said it better. I, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule. I know how busy you are. I know what a special place that is. And I think this is what team is about, like you and Ashley in the same place. I think that culture is what we need more in your, in your trainers. I mean, the whole atmosphere when you walk in there, it's, it's, when you walk into certain places, you get a special feeling, and you're one of those places. Next week, like well, I, I said, when that. we first started, um, uh, we're not going to have a broadcast. Bobby and I are just going to cheat and spend some time uh, uh, with our ourselves. Uh, we will start uh, the following week is October first, and we have uh, Alan Fox will be there, and maybe the good uh, doctor will uh, sit there um, like he does with all the Grand Slams. Uh, uh, analyze that what happens so we know it. Sometimes when you read his stuff, you don't have to actually watch the uh, event and you you know enough about why it uh, happened that way. So uh, he will be on uh, on the first uh, Thursday in October and uh, we, have, we have a couple things going on in October 
and we'll either end the last week of October or the first week of November, depending upon Coach Chuck Reese, um, our 2020 season. And then uh, Bobby and I have to do some um, thinking and planning. Well, we've already planned it, but we've got some evaluations that we have to do. Have a blessed week. Uh, enjoy uh, the uh, blessings, and uh, hopefully we will uh, see you on the next uh, broadcast. Bye now.